welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Yorta Yorta people, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded, land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Now Kin has been written about by a lot of food publications recently and it's the glorious sounding restaurant housed in All Saints Estates 1864 Heritage Listed Castle in Rutherglen. It's an ode to family by siblings Eliza, Nick and Angela Brown. Kin offers modern destination dining with a menu inspired by family recipes and childhood memories, plus the, pe- the best local and estate produce. And it's helmed by the very lovely chef Jack Cassidy. While Rother Glen is very firmly on my list of places to visit, the three hour 20 minute drive was a bit far at this point, so Jack and I chatted on the phone. Jack is one of those chefs who never dreamed of becoming a chef and now can't imagine doing anything else. He's cooked in some incredible restaurants around the country, including Bistro Guillaume, Badara Island Resort, Jackalope, and is now executive chef at Kin. The way he talks about food is wonderful, and I can't wait to try some of his dishes, paired with perhaps a beautiful heritage wine from All Saints Estate. I bet you'll feel the same, because Jack's passion is palpable, and he has an infectious laugh, and laughter is brightest where food is the best. Hi Jack, it's Joe here from Conversation with the Chef. How are you? Good, Joe. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, thanks for your time today, because it sounds like it's going really gangbusters at Kin. Like I've seen, I've seen things written about it everywhere. So, thank you for setting aside some time today. No worries. Well, let's start with where you are right now. Um, assuming that you are at Kin at the moment, are you at All Saints Estate now? <laughs> so you're not there today. Um, no, not there today. So. <laughs> but I'm, I'm intrigued because it sounds like a pretty amazing place to work, you know, a heritage-listed castle-like building. Uh, I haven't managed to get there yet, but is it as great as it sounds? Yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing, like, being able to walk into, you know, the, the castle every day. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but then, you know, once you're inside, it's all systems go that sort of leaves until you walk out again and go yeah no this is cool yeah and it sounds like it's quite big it seats maybe 120 130 is that right the restaurant yeah we seat around 120 but uh three of those are sort of like private dining options which like seat um up to 10 people each or we got one that can the wall sort of slides back and you can have a table of about 20 to 25 mm. in sort of a private dining experience. Mm. Yeah, it sounds very lovely. And um, I'm just looking at some of the highlights on the menu. So it, it's modern Australian, is that what you'd describe it as? Yeah, modern Australian, but sort of mixed with like the, um, like, a, you know, 
country sort of vibe. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to scare anyone away or, you know, make it any all pretentious. It's still to try and keep that, you know, everyone's welcome, you know, country cooking, but just with a bit of refinement and a lot of respect for the produce. Mm, and I see that you've got quite a few Indigenous um, plants or elements in your dishes like saltbush and um, uh, bush tomato and also kangaroo yeah 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 so at the moment we're doing like a uh, a really nice like cured kangaroo skewer so that gets done on the char grill um and it's also got a like a spice rub made with from like wattle seed pepperberry as the main sort of flavors and then just um balanced out a bit you know with a bit of coriander powder and uh cumin powder and obviously a bit of salt and sugar just to sort of balance Sounds really good. Um, are you, you have you been working with those ingredients for a while, or is this a new thing? I've been working with them for a while, um, but always like I did quite a bit of it, but I never really sort of understood or like gave them like the respect that they needed. Like it's not for working with them for a while, being like, no, these are actually, you know, quite different to what growing like working in a French kitchen was like. I was sort of off by the flavours a bit, like, oh, it's a bit different, I don't get it, but now, after working with them for a while, and now I get it, like, okay, now this is cool. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's that whole terroir, isn't it, like, working with um, ingredients that are from the land, our land, or this land, or maybe not our land, the, um, the um, First Nations land, but the land on which yeah. we live, um, yeah. that, that must as you say, once you get your head around it, it must feel quite special to be able to incorporate those into the dishes. Yeah, it is. It's it's really cool. Like, um, And just sort of like introducing other people to it more like um, most of the chefs in my kitchen at the moment, um, they're quite new to it as well. So uh, just watching them sort of learn and all the weird faces that they pull when they first <laughs> try it, it's like, you know, I try this bush tomato they're like whoa like what's this they're all like aniseed myrtle or they're all like whoa this is hectic and I'm like nah if you use it like this and treat it like this um, then we can create these really cool like unique flavours that are unique to Australia and like not relying on you know um, techniques from other countries or whatnot that um, you know most of Australian dining was started on mm. I'm not sure I'm familiar with uh, bush tomato. What sort of flavour does it have? Um, it sort of take, they're like uh, eggplant sort of flavouring. So we sort of treat it like that. Okay. Um, so like uh, find it nutty, but also it can be quite bitter. So we soak them in um, a sugar syrup to like rehydrate them and soften them. And that sort of it also brings out like, you know, the natural sweetness in the tomato and like, uh, massive umami, like almost too much. <laughs> but yeah, so we um with the relish, there is uh quite a few cherry tomatoes in there too to just balance it out. Mm. And and working on a winery, are you conscious of the wines, or is that more the job of the um the sommelier or the wine staff to match that to your food? Is it a, um, is it a partnership so or? We meet like 50-50. Yeah. So um, we talk about 
talk with uh, Nick Brown, who's that winemaker, um, about like the flavor profiles on all the different wines, and um, and then we go down like the traditional path of like okay, like you know, red usually goes for like red meat or this, but then we sort of just go no, I want something like a bit unconventional, um, but it actually works. And so we sort of do like some stuff like that so like pork and like masan or something like that um just a bit different get people thinking a bit Mm. nice um and just looking at some of your other places i mean you're working in a so-called castle now but you've also been worked on one of australia's most unique island resorts is it is it badara is that how you say it yeah badara (laughs) that sounds that sounds amazing (laughs) gentlemen i treated you like family um like just a classic if you're good to him and pride in your work like he'd give you the world like he flew us on his helicopter um we got to take the boats out to go fishing on our breaks run our days off amazing um, we said we're going to Cairns two nights he like put me and my missus up in a in like the nicest hotel room there like we lived like absolute kings and plus we got to cook some cool food <laughs> so what what kind of food were you cooking out there um, a lot of seafood actually, yeah so because uh, we're only it was only 12 villas mm. so we only had 24 people at a time but we only had like the one kitchen so we changed lunch and dinner menu every day wow so we would go cooking from like uh modern australian or just uh, um like, so lunch was a bit more laid back and chilled. So, you know, you do, like, really good, like, fish tacos or, you know, like, a nice sometimes salad or something. Or sometimes dinner, we're like, cool, we're doing, like, all Indian tonight. Like, so from start to finish, which was um, challenging, but, like, good fun and just, like, just sped up the learning, like, so fast. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you would be learning a lot, um with so much variety that's amazing and how long did people generally stay there Oof. um we had some people would stay for a night oh um and sometimes they would stay for like 12 nights yeah wow so over those 12 nights you're having to do something different so cause it was, is that the philosophy that that, that no yeah, guest gets the same thing a dish while the guest is there. wow <laughs> So you feel like those 12 nighters, they were, you're hanging out, especially if they were there the second night you did a dish and you want to make it better and you're sort of fixated on making it better, but you can't do it again until they leave. Wow. Yeah. So that was like, or you just, by 12 days coming up with, uh, what is it, four, we did six different dishes. So like um, two entree, two main, two desserts for every dinner. So you come up with six dishes a day, and by day 12, you, like, yeah. you're just running a blank, like, what haven't I done? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. do you, And do you have, like, um, do you, did you keep notebooks or anything of all of those? Because that sounds like it'd be, like, an amazing collection to have of all those different ideas, or is it just all in your head? Um, so we would keep menus, like, all the dinner menus 
whilst that person, like that longest day, was on the island. Mm. So, like, say if they came the 3rd of February, like, that would be our last menu up there. So, the menus from the 3rd all the way to the 7th would be there. So, that way you couldn't repeat the dish. Mm. Or, um, and you'd have, you'd know that over the last couple of days what other people have done if it's been your days off or whatever. That requires so much organisation, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. But it was only, um, we only had four chefs on the island to do yeah. uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner seven days a week. There's only four of us. So we're all, and plus we live together. Mm. Like, you know, like you could hear the other person snore that close. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so we always, all we did was, Talk food, talk food, talk food. That was it. Yeah, I bet. Mm. And how long were you there on the island? I was there for about uh, a year. Mm. I was only initially going to do six months because my partner was like, I don't want you to go away for more than six months. And I was like, yeah, cool. I might, you know, I might not like it anyway. I might get homesick or whatever, but. I think I ended up doing about 16 months or 18 months or something. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it would she, be. She came, she got to come up for the last six months, which was good. <laughs> oh, that's good. I was going to say, because yeah. it would be, um, you know, she'd be really fearing missing out on all of that because it sounds like a pretty idyllic, well, hard work, but um, an idyllic yeah. place to be. Well, what made it worse, you, uh, down in Melbourne, there was still lockdowns and stuff. Oh, you were there then. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we were. When Queensland was open and Victoria was still locked down, so I was living my best life on the top of the Great Barrier Reef, and she was stuck in an apartment in St Kilda. No, yeah, by, by herself. <laughs> so hard. Post much. Yeah. Didn't want to get in trouble. No, that's right. <laughs> oh. Ah, oh, well, thank goodness that's all come to an end. <laughs> yeah. But um, so it sounds like you only work in really glamorous places, but where did it all start for you? What Did you always know you wanted to be a chef? No. So I grew up playing uh, basketball my whole life, so obviously I wanted to play in the NBA. But then, like, I stopped growing. So that was sort of out of the question. Hmm. Um, and then when I was 15, my dad said, why don't you be a chef? And I was like, ah, don't be stupid, that sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and got um, a degree in uh, graphic design. And as I was sort of doing the tail end of it, I had to go work in an office. So I did that for four or five months. And I was like, this, no, nah, this isn't for me. So then um, my friend was like, oh, why don't you be a chef? Because he was a chef as well. He's like, what are you going to be a chef? And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's like, no, my mate works at um, this restaurant. He'll he'll look after you, he'll set you up or whatever. Anyway, so that restaurant ended up being Bistro Gam. Wow. So, good place to start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know it was a good place to start. I just thought that was normal. Right. So, mm. um, and yeah, that was like a really good place to sort of get your hands dirty um, 
methods like the mother cooking or things like that. So that was, yeah, a good place to start. And did you start like right down the bottom and work your way up or? Yeah, started as an apprentice. Yeah. Yeah, first year apprentice. And, oh, yeah, I think everyone thought I was overpaid. I was on like $7.80 or something. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, oh, geez, that's so good for an apprentice. Yep. Wow. <laughs> wow. So that's really interesting. So so your dad and that mate um, obviously saw something in you, or did what? why do you reckon they were suggesting that you become a chef? Did you do any cooking at home? Um, I didn't do much cooking at home. I was just sort of running out of other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't. So good. I love hearing that. Um, and it does sound like it's an overall thing for you because clearly you take great pride in the food that you're creating, but it is that the vibe of the kitchen or the venue as well, which is good. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, that's pretty amazing. So so you were in Bist- Bistro Guillaume and then did you go to Jackalope after that? or No. So I hopped around... I was Mr. Guillaume, it ended up being quite long days, um, just because doing lunch and dinner seven days a week. Wow. So I tried um, like cafe cooking, and I ended up working for this guy who um, called Scott, who was um, a sous chef at Supernormal mm. back in the day. Um, and we were at this cafe, and it was like, it was called Mighty Boy. And it was like a little Asian style cafe. Um, and he introduced me to like Asian flavors and like techniques and just the rush. I thought, you know, it was fast paced at Bistro. Like this cafe, mate, it was a little thumper. It would make like 120 pad ties in about 45 minutes. What? In a lunch, in a lunch rush. Wow. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah. Um, and just, techniques and the flavors he taught me how to make like fur we were doing um like um airs we're doing like all these um weird sort of flavors that were so new to me it's just like eye-opening i was like oh my god i know nothing (laughs) (laughs) he just took me right back to square one again i felt like an apprentice on on that first day so after doing that i hopped around a few other kitchens, sort of trying to find which way I wanted to go with cooking, like, um, like tried 
like the pub style. So I worked at Hotel Sorrento mm. for a bit. Massive. And that was just huge. And that was good to see, like, the production side of how you can pump out. Like, we were doing, like, 2,000 people, like, in a service over like, the peak summer. Oh, it is huge there, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a monster. Yeah. Um, and just man- all the different aspects of, like, managing a place like that and see how that all operates. But, you know, like, buying fish, like, by the pellet, like, mm. not even by the kilo. I, I hadn't really thought of yeah I really hadn't even thought of that side of it yeah that's right yeah. gosh um, and then so after doing that I sort of realised like no I like like refinement um, so I sort of wanted to go back down into like uh, yeah I guess more more fine dining sort of thing but like try not to like with no pretentiousness or anything mm. like that. Mm. That's sort of the, the goal I want to achieve eventually is be like, just, you know, keep it simple. Yeah. So it sounds as though you've been quite deliberate in, in trying out lots of different places and certainly learning lots of different styles of food. Do you think you've still got more to learn? Oh, stacks. Mm. Stacks more to learn. Um, just doing everything. Like, I talk to suppliers a lot more now, like, you know, breaking them, being like, okay, but, like, how do you get to this, like, where, like, you know, where are they come, like, where's the beef coming from, like, you know, how long is it growing, like, I'm more invested now in that part of it, mm. rather than, okay, this is, like, finished product on the plate, like, okay, here's your steak and chips or whatever, like, mm. like no, like, I still want to learn all and the agricultural side too. Mm. Like so, being up here in like northern Victoria, it is like it's so much closer to all the, the farmers and everything. So that's mm. true. Opportunity to go visit them and everything and all that. Well, I, I've spoken to Annie Smithers a few times in the past. I'm not sure if you've well, she's out at Trentham at Du Fermier in um. She grows a lot of what she makes for the restaurant and she yeah. talks about how when you when you do grow produce that you have a, a greater respect for it and you're less likely to waste uh, ingredients and so on. So I think I really like the idea that you're investing in the whole journey of the dish and, um, and I think that does bring with it a respect for the food. Yeah. Yeah, mm. so I like that. So like my favourite restaurant is Oromine. Um, Mm. and how they pretty much do like I think it's like 85% of their menu comes from their farm yeah and I've been like watching their journey from the start um how small it was to how big it is now is like it's also something like I want to go that journey as well like it looks and sounds like a lot of hard work but I mean the rewards he will be worth it. Yeah, Blaine is so well organised. I I walked and talked with him. So we did a conversation with the chef, but while we walked around his farm gar- slash garden, and he maps it out, you know, like he's got a chef's mind in his garden, so it's all totally, knows where everything is. It's all um, mapped according to, like, what's seasonally going to change into something else. And um, and it was I was there quite... I mean, a, f- a few years ago now. So, I, as you say, he's just got bigger and bigger, and his 
make, making more of um, the, the food that he, or, you know, using his eggs and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's a pretty, pretty impressive uh, operation. Yeah. He's such a nice guy too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, there's got to be something wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he's nice, he's a good chef, like he's got a wicked philosophy about food, like there's got to be something. <laughs> <laughs> no, we should all strive to be more Blaine. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's it's good though. So, and in terms of, so that's a good thing to think maybe for you, maybe to be aiming towards. But then, um, where do you get your inspiration now? Do you look at cookbooks, or are you obviously you're inspired by the produce? But um, you know, are you looking at other people's food on Instagram? Where are you? Where are you bouncing ideas off? Uh, at the moment, I've been getting given um, a lot of like old cookbooks from like op shops that are like like native australian ones mm. or like uh, floral and fauna books which are native to australia as well and i've sort of just been going through them and then calling my suppliers being like how long will it take you to get this like, like is this possible is this like can we get it like who do i have to call to connect you to get them yeah, and then just taking an ingredient and putting a dish around it. So, like, the protein of the dish might come last. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. it might be based around, like, a herb or, like, even, like, a strawberry. Like, all right, well, what are we going to do with this strawberry? And then, oh, yeah, we could, like, a sorbet, like a red wine sorbet. Like, okay, cool. But, like, the main focus is the strawberry. Um, and yeah, build like the main component might even just come last. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I've heard a couple of people say that's that the um a new tack they're taking as well is to leave the protein till last and think about the other flavours, which is which is great. It's yeah, good approach. Well, there's a, there's a lot more you know vegetables <laughs> and spices and. You know, flora, fauna, and rather than compared to proteins. Yes, true. So I think thinking it down that path sort of opens you up to a lot of different flavour profiles rather than being like, okay, I know duck, you know, goes with plum. <laughs> so, but if you go like plum, you're like, oh, can I ferment the plum? Like, oh, can I do this to the plum? Like, oh, you know, actually really weird, but would work is like you know Murray Cod because like you made the sauce like um, rich enough or you know savoury enough that it actually would complement a river fish rather than you know a duck yeah so when you're coming up with those ideas are you always sure they'll work or do they no yeah okay <laughs> no not a chance I mate, I fail heaps <laughs> But I think that's an important lesson, isn't it? I think, you know, you do have to try those things to then come up with the good stuff and um and not be yeah. afraid of failing or yeah, um going down a different path with the flavour profile. Yeah. Mm. It's good. 
So with all that in mind and your experience up until now, what would your advice be to a young person who was thinking of becoming a chef? Um, I would say go on to the Good Food Guide and find a smaller kitchen that has a really good head chef, so whether it be like two hats or one hay, something like that, and just go put yourself in their face and be like, I want to learn um so yeah don't just go down to your local because they're paying a little bit more or whatever just spend like five years finding the right people to to teach you or like you know the what what style you might want to go down um because like that will help you so much more than just you know going to work like if got someone who can mentor you it makes it a lot easier and I'll like they really help your passion and make you keep that passion mm. I think that's really good advice thank you and thank you for your time um, I can't wait to come out to Rutherglen and try the food for myself and see the fancy castle um, yeah. <laughs> but um, thanks so much Jack and look enjoy the rest of your day off and um, and hopefully I'll meet you in person one day Yes, please come up and visit. We'll look after you. <laughs> okay, thank you. See you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Jack Cassidy at Kin at All Saints Estate in Rutherglen. You can check out all the goodness that is Kin on Instagram at kin.allsaintsestate. And if you liked what you heard and you want to hear about some other chefs, I am also on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. You can read the chat at www.conversationwithachef.com. And I would love it if you told a friend about the chats. And there's a lot of ads here, but you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Once again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day.